Hello, and welcome to the Good Morning Mimosas podcast. I am your host, Cheryl Bear. Today is the second episode of the leadership series with Dr. Lane Harpine. This episode is titled Leaders Know Their Teams and Themselves. This week's inspirational quote is leaders who don't listen will eventually be surrounded by people with nothing to say. We're going to discuss this more in depth in a little bit, but for now, I'd like to welcome Dr. Lane Harpine to the podcast for today's episode on leadership. Good morning, Lane. Well, good morning, Cheryl. It's so great to be with you again. No, our first episode was fantastic, and I'm just so excited to dive into what we have going on here today. So kind of the first one, if I could get you to talk a little bit about leaders and how they kind of surround themselves. Sure. If, uh, if no one's following you, you're not much of a leader. <laughs> you're kind of uh, <laughs> solo. So uh, it, it's important that that those that are following you or those that you have an opportunity to surround yourself with are set up for success and have a clarity on what the circumstances actually are. Good leaders want not only their entire company to succeed, to make themselves look good and what have you, but including everyone else that's involved in that process to look good as well. Good leader places the people around him or her in a position that would set them up for success and to be able to set up the employee for success as well. That way it's a win-win for everyone involved. And do you think that leaders build up the teams around them based on skill sets, or would you say it's more on attitude or capabilities or untapped potential? How do you think they actually build their teams? A very common mistake, especially uh, moving hard and fast, we tend to go out and yank someone in through the front door and say, here, breathe on this mirror and make sure you have a pulse because we need someone. Now here, get into these piles of papers and start moving them from there to there. Terrible, terrible mistake. There's nothing more important than your employees or your teams in organizations. It's your number one asset. So selecting the right persons to be a part of the team. To me, there's nothing more important than that. So it's not a popularity contest and it's not those that can work the system the best. It's really about implementing a process that allows you to select the most viable candidate for the needs that you have in that particular role. For me personally, Cheryl, when I was looking to hire for an opening on my team or in my organization or in my committee at church, I'm looking for someone Someone who has won the skill sets that will match up with the need of the position. That's the number one thing. Are they capable? If they're capable, they may not currently have the necessary skills. Are they capable to acquire those skills through training, through experience, through an apprenticeship program, whatever? So the capability is very important. The willingness, attitude, behavior, all that ties directly into that as well. But you have to ensure then that, as we talked about the last time, building the relationship with that individual, that there's loyalty, a trust developed in that relationship that then ultimately leads to clarity and what the expectation of that role would be to set them up for success. 
doing the assessment, doing the hard work, asking the hard questions to get to the root of, is this the right person for the job? And it's okay to say no, that this individual hits all the boxes except for this one. And we're going to hold out and wait for the candidate that hits that last box as well. You will be further ahead in the long run to wait and to make sure you get the right person, the right candidate to fill the position instead of just plugging someone in. Talking about team members, you know, leaders, we kind of talked about it a little bit before about knowing themselves. Could you talk to us about how you feel or the confidence or lack thereof you see in a lot of times when you're looking for team members or you're getting to know team members? Do you find that a lot of team members know themselves? I think that the mistake that I described earlier is happening in organizations and groups that the necessary time is not being taken and you must create the mousetrap that catches the best or the right individual for what it is you're looking for. Many people pride themselves and will openly say, oh, I'm a good judge of character. It's easy for me. I go with my gut. Well, maybe, maybe um, there are many people out there that can play the game and that convince others of their abilities of just being a little coy or a little slick in their approach of convincing. If the opportunity is available in terms of timeline, I always like to attach an assessment piece to the application process for the applicability of the job. If it's, for instance, if it's an admin job, can you actually use word processing? Can you type on a word processor? Can you file an alphabetical word? You know, those are very rudimentary types of tasks, but you'd be surprised how many people can't do that. If it's higher level thinking or critical thinking, if I give you a scenario and a timeline and a project crunch, etch me out a game plan in the next 30 minutes at the close of this interview of how you would tackle this problem uh, with an essence of a, of a solution. You know, that's a higher level type of performance thing, but you can get a snapshot into someone's abilities pretty quickly about how quick they can think on their feet, process a problem or a scenario that's thrown at them, and then try to work their way through it with a solution. Yes, I think taking the time, whether it's a series of questions or something that you do hands-on, or whether it's a demonstration, what have you, that that can tell you volumes uh, about a person, more so than just sitting there listening to them spew on about how great they are or reading their 10-page resume that they wrote themselves about how great they are. I know last week we used a sports analogy But talking about team and team members um, and knowing their team members on a level besides just skills and ability that are on there. One of the activities we did growing up, we played a lot of sports, my sister and I, and I had a coach that said, it is so important to have team dinners or team lunches. And I didn't quite understand that when I was young because it's just a fun thing, right? You do as a team, it's just that activity. We said, in reality, what people don't realize they're learning, they will know when you're eating someone who's going to say, hey, could you pass me the salt and pepper or someone who in front of everyone else isn't going to isn't going to try to ripple any waves or someone who's going to try to lead a conversation or bring people in. And you learn so many other small social details about them that equally translate into how they play their sports games. 
you know, is this person is going to take the lead a hundred percent of the time, whether it's who's going to eat the most pizza slices at this event, you know, who's going to, you know, get up and lead the line. Who's, you know, in, in other people who, Hey, I'm going to take the back seat. You just learned so many things about your team members and how they go from just a social interaction, which is such a good way for leaders to know their team in a scaled back environment that isn't in the office Mm -hmm. where you're in that set mold, where you're, you know, you have your super professional face on the entire time, having that let your hair down family barbecue or you know, a team building activity really helps you learn so much more than you would otherwise. Uh, I concur. I, I think weaving those type of activities throughout the the cycle of your year of whether it's team days or PD opportunities, professional development opportunities, outings, retreats, whatever, whatever you want to call it. There's a a lot of companies out there that make a lot of money off of the rope courses and team building activities and all those sort of things. I personally find great value in that. There there are many that would rather be cut with a hundred knives. They they hate that kind of stuff. (laughs) They they would rather do anything else but another team building activity. But to your point, as as an observer, if you're watching that, you can quickly extract personality traits, tendencies of individuals. And there may be opportunities to learn about yourself and others in those scenarios, whether it's a full day outing or maybe it's just going out with your team leads and the supervisor says, hey, team leads, why don't we go grab some Mexican food today and sit around eating some chips and salsa and waiting for you you can learn a lot just through that sort of thing. As you were talking, though, it made me also think about a series of assessment tests that are out there. That, that are very common. And, and just as an example, you know, DISC is one of those types of assessments. There is an example I read one time where this business actually did the assessment holistically across their whole organization. It's based on the, the letter scheme and then a color scheme. And then in each office and each cubicle, because of those tendencies, because of the, the assessment that was taken that was validated, the color and those numbers would be placed at the entrance of their workspace. So if I, was, if I were coming to Cheryl's location and you were a very introverted person and it took you a long time to process and you weren't, you were very logically linear thinking. And I know that I have to change my approach towards you to extract what I may be trying to get from you, which will lower my frustrations in working with you as a coworker. Or if you're my subordinate, how I can then utilize your skills and place you on teams that may not have that element that you have, that skill set that you have, that tendency that you have that's needed, whether it's attention to detail, whether it's a strong follow-up thing, or maybe you're a dreamer. Maybe you are an out-of-box thinker. Maybe I need someone like, whatever the case may be. So all of those things are very important to be able to use as a tool for your teams And then the last thing I would say, some of the tests now and assessments are designed not so much to be interpreted to tell you here's where you're strong and here's where you're weak, even though it gets interpreted that way. It's about here's your tendencies. And to know that information, now I can process that to say, this isn't my go-to area. I may prefer to do it this way, or I may have a tendency to want to do it this way doesn't mean I can't do it this other way. And I may not even 
want or prefer to do it that way. But I still, I can, but it tells me there's space there that I have to extract more energy, more effort into that type of behavior, especially in a work environment, for me to hit the mark. If I'm a strong extrovert, I get my energy from other people. That's my go-to. You know, I'm looking for other people to work with and where if, if I don't have a strong attention to detail because I go too fast and I know that's my tendency, it doesn't mean I can't pay attention to detail. It just means it takes me longer and I've got to pay more attention to what I'm doing. And if I do that, then I'm more value added as a team member to the rest of my team. And I've recognized there's space for me to do that. It doesn't mean I'm a failure. It doesn't mean that I'm not capable of doing my job. It's just a recognition kind of thing. And I think it's so important to have that little bit of structure and detail to be able to help you self-reflect Yes. and consider your thought process and understand when you go into situations, because it just helps you relate to others and yourself and understand your instant reaction may not be the best for this type of work. If you have this tendency, I have done the disc and I'm a dead eye in the center. <laughs> <laughs> are you now? Yes. How, what What are you on the disc? Strong eye. Strong eye. Yeah. Makes sense. Birds yeah. of a feather. <laughs> so moving on to our next topic of what is your role? As a leader, and I tie this directly to our relationship conversation. I try to say this at every juncture I get an opportunity to when I'm leading someone or working with someone that I remind them that my role here is not to just manage and correct and to point out shortcomings and all those sort of things, which, which are all variables of leadership and management and coordination and all that. But for me, I always try to remind my team, I'm here to do two things. One, I'm here to support you. Now that could sound a little hokey and that could sound a little vague, but in essence of what that means is you're hired or you have agreed in a volunteer capacity, if it's a, a committee or a, a volunteer group, to do a thing, to serve a purpose, whatever that thing may be, right? So you have to have support in that. If I'm going cross grain with you as your leader or as your employer or as your supervisor, one's pull and one's pushing, and that's not going to work. If we are all in a raft together and we're paddling in different ways, we're just going to get wet and we're going to go in circles. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to move in the same direction. So I'm here to support you, to help you be successful, to create a safety net for success and to help prop you up. But I'm also here, and this is the most important role of a leader. You have things at your disposal that your subordinate may not. To remove those things that are in your way, however that's defined, time, resources, status, whatever. As a leader, we have to have a conversation. There has to be clarity. And what can I do, Cheryl, to get use something or to move something out of your way or create a space for you to be successful. Man, you want to talk about building loyalty and getting a commitment from someone to buy into what you're attempting to do. You do those two things for an individual, you support them 
and you remove the stuff out of the way that they're struggling with, you'll have people go through walls for you because they buy into the fact that they truly believe you're there to help them. And if, and if you truly are, then you've got something. Now you have a relationship of success that you can really start to make a difference and move the needle in a very positive way. I love hearing you talk about uh, those teams. I know I've been a part of them and having that top coverage and then being able in turn to be that kind of top coverage for your own team. There is no greater feeling than when you talk to a team and they say, hey, I've got this problem. And they say, okay, I'm going to write this down. Give me that to do. I'm going to work on it. You go get it done. You come back in an hour, two hours. Sometimes it takes a week, maybe longer. You come back and say, hey, I took care of this. Here's the resources you need, or here's your path forward. You guys keep doing what you're doing and move ahead. And the team's elation, it is nothing short of elation because instead of having to do all these workarounds that they've been having to do or these nonstop frustrations for their everyday, now they're yes, we can go get this done. And that fire really does spread and it affects the whole team and then slowly a whole division. And then it trickles across the whole breadth of a company. So here's a seasoned example that you have to watch for though. It's not all fluffy and cotton candy and rainbows and unicorns. It's uh, you, you have to be careful too. We're, all, we're human beings and there yeah. are individuals out there that will take advantage of the circumstances and situations. So um, if you have an employee or even a coworker that continues to dump, they use that circumstance to pass the buck or pass the workload. You have to be cognizant of that. There, I've heard this described as an example in different ways. You can't allow someone to come into your office, certainly as a manager, and start complaining about this thing, this widget problem. You know, we've got this thing and I don't know how, well, and, and Bill's not helping and this has always been broken. They've always done it, yep, yep, yep. We're talking about the monkey and that monkey is just jumping up and down as an issue. It's getting all the attention, right? And they just keep feeding the monkey and the monkey just gets more hyper and hyper. And the next thing you know, that monkey now has jumped down off of their shoulder onto your desk. And they're still talking about this monkey. And you're looking at the monkey going, yeah, I get it. It's a monkey. Yes. It, and it's knocking over stuff and it's in the way and it's smelly. And yes, I get it. And before you know it, that employee turns, still talking about the monkey and starts to walk out of your office. Now that monkey has jumped from your desk up onto your shoulder and they walk out. And next thing you know, the monkey's sitting right on your shoulder because you took the monkey from them. No, mm -mm. take your monkey with you when you leave my office. <laughs> now we can talk about it. I can give you some advisement on how we can cage this monkey or deal with the monkey or sell the monkey or whatever we need to do, but you're not leaving that monkey with me. That, that's not my job. My job is to help you manage the monkey. It makes me think of Kenneth Blanchard. This book's probably now whew, 30, 30, 35 years old. Um, it was a very popular management book during the whole TQL time and total management leadership. The big business boom of the 80s, um, it was the one-minute manager that he wrote. And many people, after he wrote it, said, well, I could write that book. It wasn't a very deep philosophical kind of premise of what he was trying to explain. But one of the things that he wrote about in there that I learned and took to heart early on in my career, and I still carry it with me to this day, I don't allow employees to come to me with a problem and merely just talk about the problem. Now we can discuss it and that's fine. 
it, just to get clarity about what I want to fully understand all the variables, all the factors of this thing you're describing to me. But if you continue just to complain about it and to be frustrated about it without offering up a suggestion of how to fix it, then you're just complaining about it. To me, you're just you're compounding the problem. You're adding to it. You're in a position of change, of addressing the issue. So do something about it. And if you can't, then let's talk about why you can't. If you're choosing not to because you're hesitant to make a decision, well, let's talk about options and I can help you talk through that. But if you come to me, at least have three ways to address the problem with one of those being the recommendation that you would give to fix the problem. So now we can talk about a variety of ways to approach it and then what you think would be the best way from your vantage point to fix it. And then as your boss, as your supervisor, as your leader, I can help talk through that and then together we can land on a solution. And that solution, you go outside and you take with you and you carry out and you handle however you guys decide, right? That's right. That's right. Well, As a unified front. Yes. And, you know, providing solutions. I, I had an a issue that happened actually last week or maybe it was two weeks ago now. And the component I was working on had some intricacies that I had to call a tech support group for and talked out, hey, here's all the variables. And they kind of explained what the different options were. And I decided, okay, here's our best course of action, right? And I, I'm opinionated. So I was very opinionated about this because there were several different ways we could go. But for me, the solution, the right solution for this problem was one that provided clarity for the three different groups involved, had the easiest lift on the resources, but still could execute and get the job done and was still more efficient or provided more opportunities for the patrons than it had years before. And it was one where to me, I, I knew the right answer. And when I went, you know, I didn't have the authority to make the decision, but I put it together. And when I, when I brought it up, I said, okay, here is the problem. Here are some options. And I preface, I am biased and I am very opinionated about it. Here's what we need to do, but here's why. And I kind of stepped through and talking about having those discussions and, and filtering your information. At my level, I knew the tech side inside and out. I knew the, the setting for the different things and, and what that would kind of mean and create. But when I'm bringing it up, I had to recognize the team that I was bringing it up to, they don't know the details in the weeds. So I need to make sure that when I brought up those solutions, I had a clear way of communicating the problem without making it a 10 year long story in the weeds. But I needed to make sure I was clear about here's where we're going and why, and here are the hangups. And then if they asked for more like questions or clarity on it. Like, hey, why couldn't we just do this? Then I would dive in and give them more of the in the weeds details, mm -hmm. but I would wait and explain it and then let them kind of lead or ask questions. So instead of bombarding them with 50 million small details, I could just 
answer their questions that was important to them. And Great. it worked out well. <laughs> it worked awesome. out well. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. It reminds me here. I got a little gem for you and your listeners. I want to circle back to what you said before about surrounding yourself, the right people in a way that sets everyone up for success. You know, I tried to point out in my answer that you don't want to make the mistake of what some leaders do of just surrounding themselves with people that are going to validate their own ideas and thoughts and just kind of across the board agree with everything that I think's right, just because they want to be in favor. I seek out those that think differently than, than I do, those that may have an alternative perspective based on their past experiences or their vantage point, because then that is value added. It, it brings something to the table I don't have. So I recognize there's value in that. And I would hope that other leaders would, and most good leaders do. In the scenario that I was giving before about someone coming in and then giving complaining about a problem and then I require recommendation and solutions and what they would recommend. What you don't want to do is to cut them off at the knees and deflate them by saying something like, well, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life <laughs> when they offer <laughs> a solution. Um, that can be very deflating to a person. Now, if it is the most ridiculous thing that you ever heard and misses the mark by a mile, then you need to do some reflecting on that individual's abilities and do they bring that ability to the table or not? If they do, and it's still coming from left field, here's the nugget. Here are three simple words that I try to use often that you can pull this out in a lot of different circumstances and it would be amazing the, the doors that it opens to understanding. And the words are just, help me understand. Okay. I, I, I'm not tracking on what you're saying. Help me understand and let them go a little deeper in painting you the picture with a broader brush or giving you even more detail to what it is they're describing and why. And it may at that point seem to you to be completely in left field, but it may be just getting at something a different way that you didn't even consider or may not even have seen that path before. It's got to be embedded in that trust, that relationship piece that we talked about before that is cemented in validation. That Because if you don't, you're going to be out there on that limb with them if you take a chance with a, a re recommendation like that. But just help me understand it is a good set of three words that can get you a lot. And if I can segue for just a second about bringing in those team members that have maybe opposing views or differing uh, experiences to bring to the table, something that people I feel get very defensive about that I think is actually an awesome opportunity to learn and can be such a positive one, generational differences and changes. Oh my. I know. I know. The example I will give my dad is a master shipbuilder at, at uh, Newport News Shipbuilding, and he oh has worked there. Uh, he's in his 42nd year. Oh my. The shipbuilding. It was his dream when he was a little kid. He used to build model aircraft carriers and he grew up, became an engineer, and um, he's been doing it in real life ever since. And it's his passion and he loves it. I'm an active duty military spouse. I mean, I have yet, maybe one day, to get to a job where I'm there for 42 months. Mm. And I'll tell you what, if I get there for 42 months, I'm like, oh, you are welcome. I've been here forever. Like in my lifestyle and how frequently we move, I feel ancient, you know? And then my dad has been in a place for 42 years. Mm -hmm. But whenever we get together, and you know, my dad is very much 
an engineer, very black and white, very numbers and figures, you know, when we're following a GPS in the car and there's a roundabout with lots of shootout options. And he will tell me, you're going to take the left turn that's about 270 degrees. In my mind, I'm like, wait, no, like, show me the picture, show me the map. Like I'm not doing degrees. I'm following the, the pretty pictures and the arrow. But every time we're together, my dad teaches me something and I can always share or teach him something, you know, whether it's big or small, finding a creative way to fix something in the house. For me, I being a mill spouse, I have to do that a lot. So I'm where's YouTube. I can watch a video. We can figure it out. Worst thing that happens, we have to fix it where my dad can sit here and explain the origin of an aircraft carrier class how it started and the transitions and the phases that it's made and so many other things. But I feel like that is a point that so many people get so frustrated about, you know, they make their comments about like, oh, they're such a boomer, these millennials. If people stop to look at it for the opportunity that it is, and that's what it is. It is an opportunity to learn and grow. And I think that is as much as a difference as it could be for the varying personalities or cultural backgrounds that people may bring to the table. That's a good point. Um, I, we could do a whole podcast on the generational differences, um, but to your point, you're you're absolutely right. To me, it's about being value added. And there was a time, generation or so ago, that value added meant that you became the corporate man and you walked the line and you got your gold watch at the end of your walk. Those days are gone. The lay of the land is now different um, in terms of technology the functionality of the way entrepreneurially we operate in an economy even to do business or function operationally. So what you're describing about the younger generations of what society, what experience, what learning now is giving them in terms of preference, it's in and out quickly. It, it, it's program driven. It's, it's connection and then deconnect driven. Um, there's no long-term feeling of obligation in many instances. And it's okay to do it that way for them because they feel like they're contributing. They're bringing those attributes that we were talking about earlier to a team or a position to an organization for that given amount of time to do what needs to be done, to prop it up, to, to fix the thing or to implement, implement the new thing or to change whatever. And once that's done, well, then they're on to something else. It's, it's a very interesting concept, really interesting, but it, it certainly can be value added to everyone involved and we can learn from each other. I might just take you up and we'll have to do an episode just on generational differences because <laughs> I would love to dive into that. I find it, I find it fascinating because every viewpoint has a good point. Yes. Yes. Every, every viewpoint has a good point. Um, you know, and Cheryl, I would say too, it, it's about what we keep beating this drum, uh, knowing the person. It, it doesn't matter if you're 23 years old, fresh out of undergrad, and I'm 62 and I've been managing for 40 years. Uh, what do you have as benefit to this position, to this role that's value added? Let's dig down into that. Let's talk about that. And what's your preferences in terms of approach and how does that match up? to the needs of the organization that I'm managing, that I'm leading that initiative so that you can be successful as an individual, have loyalty to that thing, connection to that thing, self-worth, value, appreciation. I can then have onus of 
oversight and and trust and that you're doing it right, even though I don't know the first thing about technology and I'm on no social media and I don't know what you're doing on the phone all day long and talking to <laughs> who knows what you're doing. But what does this stuck. emoji mean? Exactly. What is happening? <laughs> there, it has to be embedded in a relationship of trust and clarity. Moving to our last topic of the day about leaders and leaders who know themselves. What kind of question would you, I guess, start out with or pose for a leader who wants to kind of check and know themselves? Knowing yourself can be a slippery slope. Uh, it could be a, a misread. It could be a screen to something that is untruth. But at the root of all of that is the, the true essence of who you are as a being and what you're trying to accomplish. Are you trying to steamroll? Are you uh, egotistical enough that you're looking for all the praise in what it is through your accomplishments? And are you using or manipulating people to the ends to meet that end result? Or do you just want to be liked? Do you just, you've got to have the acceptance and you've got to be someone that if people aren't liking me, then I'm not doing it right. There's something wrong that I'm, I'm rubbing up against something that needs, I, I've, I've got to work on making sure they like me better. Whatever that, that case may be, knowing yourself is important because you have to then use your skills to do the ultimate. And the ultimate to me is managing people's energy. That's where success really lies. And it's very important. Um, they bring their skill sets, they bring their motivation and all that, but it's about the energy that they bring forward in what it is that they're doing. You can simply do that as a leader by simply changing what people are thinking about. There's a, uh, an age old icebreaker that demonstrates this wonderfully. Um, uh, I've used it a number of times. You go into a room and you ask the, the crowd or your audience, I want you for the first 30 seconds to get up and go around the room and introduce yourself, but discard the person that you're meeting that they really don't offer up what you're looking for and you're really looking for someone else. Now you can imagine what energy is in the room. And after 30 seconds, you, you stop that and you say, all right, now for the second part of this exercise, what I want you to do is again, go around the room and introduce yourself, but I want you to connect with the people that you're engaging with like they're a lifelong friend, a family member you haven't seen in years, someone that you're just dying to see again, someone you're dying to meet again. And the energy that changes in the room is mind bending. And to be able to be back and observe that as the leader in the room, just in the demonstration is phenomenal. But the point that comes out of that is it merely is changing what you're thinking about. That's the only thing you're doing is changing the mindset of the energy in the room. You don't even have to change the behavior. The individuals, based on their own style, their own approach, their own way that they do things, right? Giving them the space to do it. Their behavior takes on the change in the room. And before you know it, you got people loving on each other, hugging, high-fiving, fake cry. Oh, my God. You know, it, it's, it's incredible 
just to see that demonstration. The Bible actually talks about this as well. You know, the Bible says, as you think, you become. So the mind is a very powerful, powerful thing. Um, so again, it's not the hammer of a leader changing behavior, changing culture. Change, mm, mm. Let's just talk about how we think about things a little differently. And very quickly, you could be able to change the whole premise of an organization's culture. And how you think and how you use your thoughts and your mindset bleeds in to the whole organization and your teams. Absolutely. There's an image, and I know we can't do it on a podcast, but I'll try to paint the picture. And, and you may have seen it. Your, your listeners may have seen it. There, there's a, a picture of uh, a number of men in um, biblical times that are kind of strapped together, and they're pulling this chariot. And there is a, a man who is up on the chariot with a whip. And, and the whip is out over top of these six or so men that are pulling this chariot. And it says, this is the definition of a leader, you know, how to get things done, how to move your chariot down the road, right? Well, the subset then, or the next block that redefines what a leader is, takes that same picture, those same six men pulling that heavy chariot but there's no one in the chariot. Guess where the guy is that was up in the chariot? He's now in front, pulling mm. from the very front in the direction that it needs to be pulled as a part of the solution, not necessarily driving forcefully the solution. I always thought that was a great image uh, of demonstrating what true leadership is that you, you pull in leadership. You pull out of people their best. You pull out of people ideas, creativity. You pull that. You can't push. Push doesn't work. Push doesn't work. That is so true. You know, I, I think in about different teams I've been on, you know, work teams, sports teams, things like that. And, you know, you have to be so self-conscious of your energy. Yes. And you have to be intentional when you walk in a room. I'm, I'm a timely person, right? I, I believe being on time is a way to show respect for people that you're meeting with. Um, if you're 15 minutes early, you're on time. If you're right. On time. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. And I've worked in organizations where time is a more fleeting concept to literally everyone. And I am the only person that if it says, if I'm going to be there at seven, I will probably be there closer to 635, 640, maybe 645 if I'm running late. So I can be there at seven o'clock and I'm going to be on time. And for me to be a good team member, and especially the position I, I was in, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't in management. I wasn't in a, a leadership role where I could make that more of a priority. I had to walk in intentionally with meetings, being on time, even being early knowing people are being late, but having the grace and compassion so that starting out the meeting, I was not right. stressed or angry or hostile, you know, like, oh, was that Dunkin' Donuts stop worth it? No, <laughs> you know, I really had to, because I knew that that for me was a trigger point, but you have to also understand 
you know, you have to pick and choose battles. And for me, it was a way that I could acknowledge, you know, that particular thing, the timeliness that was so important to me when no one else being that timely, what just wasn't a thing. It wasn't a priority. And it was the opportunity that I had to have grace. I knew it going into the meeting. It didn't change my behavior. I was going to be there on time, no matter what, but I was going to make sure that my mindset going into that meeting, regardless of it being 10 minutes or 15, maybe 20 minutes late, I was going to be positive. I was going to have an outlook that we could, you know, go ahead and do the meeting. And I was going to check my hostility (laughs) or frustration at the door because if whatever mindset you have going into something, it will impact the whole meeting, whoever you're talking with. I mean, even on zoom, you show up and you've got that grizzly bear face on. Mm. Um, it reminds me too, and uh, I, I know we have plans at some point to talk about traction and level 10 meetings and what have you, and, and it, to your point about being conscientious of time, there are elements as leaders that you can control, and if you do control it, that says one thing, and if you don't control it, that speaks volumes as well, and, and time, there's very little things more important than people than, than their time, so being conscientious of people's time. Um, is a finite resource. It is. You 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 can get it back. No, you can always make more money, but you can't, you can't buy back more time. That's right. That's right. So if, if as a leader, you have an opportunity to say, we're going to start on time and we're going to end on time, be conscientious of that commitment and stick to it. Because if you don't, and you say that you are, and you don't, Either of those says something about you as a leader. Build your fence lines, be consistent and stick to what it is that you say you're doing and do it for the good of your group. Yes. And, and Lane, we are at uh, our time for today, but I want to thank you for being with us. And I know that we are excited to be with you next week for our episode three of the leadership series, which is about leaders and their attitude. An approach. But before we go, mimosas, I want to just circle back to our quote real quick. It's leaders who don't listen will eventually be surrounded by people with nothing to say. Powerful. I love that. Well, uh, mimosas out there, I hope you provide tools that others need to succeed, offer praise when things go right, and take responsibility when things go wrong. And if you have a an example of this, or you're maybe living it out, or you're going to go ahead and make those late night, uh, those late night, or maybe Sunday night phone calls to your team, so they have something good when they come up, please go ahead and share it with us. Let us know. Um, you can do it by uh, posting on following us on Instagram at Good Morning Mimosa, on our website at thebravebear.com/gmm. Or you can shoot us an email at goodmorningmimosas.podcast at gmail.com. You literally never know what a like or share will do. So please feel free to share this podcast with your friends, family, or anyone else who could use a little spark on Wednesday mornings. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy. Cheers, mimosas.